Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. The Septuagint, sometimes referred to as the Greek Old Testament or the translation of the 70, and often abbreviated as the Roman numeral number LXX, is the earliest extant Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible from the original Hebrew. The term Septuagint meaning 70, actually refers to the 72 translators, six from each tribe of Israel, involved in translating the Torah during the Second Temple period in the 3rd century B.C. The Torah is known as the Pentateuch, or the Five Books of Moses, by Christians, and was extensively used by the Gospel writers. Let's learn more about all this from the History of the Papacy podcast with Steve Guerra and his colleague Gary Stevens. The Septuagint is really an extremely important document for the history of the Bible. The Bible is the foundational document of Christianity and Judaism. You don't really have a Christianity or a Judaism if you don't have the Bible. The Bible, of course, is made up of two really different parts from the Christian perspective, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Judaism obviously doesn't include the second part. Two of the main books that I used was When God Spoke Greek by Timothy Michael Law and then Septuagint as Christian Scripture by Martin Hengel, plus many articles and websites. Our topic of the day in this special 10th anniversary edition is the Septuagint. The Septuagint, which I suppose most people have never even heard of, is the particular translation of the Hebrew text into Greek. First, where does the name Septuagint come from? The Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, namely that translation you mentioned, the Septuagint, The Septuagint is really an extremely important document for the history of the Second Temple Judaism, of which the sects of Christianity and modern Judaism spring out of. And so I really wanted to learn about and evaluate the impact of this translation, this incredible translation, on history of the Bible. Septuagint shows there was a wide diversity of thought and text running through Second Temple Judaism. There was also a wide variety of just ideas floating around in this stew of Second Temple Judaism. And I like this quote from the Septuagint as Christian scripture by Emeritus Professor of Mm. New Testament and Ancient Judaism at the University of Tübingen in Germany, Martin Hengel. The Septuagint, itself consisting of a collection of Jewish documents, wishes to be a Christian book. Now, Steve, that is a very intriguing statement. As we'll soon find out, the Septuagint was mainly compiled well, well before Jesus Christ was born. So what does it mean to say that this thing, which was a Jewish book written pre-Christian, wishes to be a Christian book? I don't get it. I think that it's saying that there was a thought stream that really fed into the Christian movement, that Christianity just didn't pop out of nowhere in the first century AD, common era, that there was these precursors that were reaching back into really deeply into Second Temple Judaism that maybe came to full fruition in the first century of the common era. Because we see people like Philo of Alexandria, 
this guy is as Jewish as they get. I think he died right around the time, late 20s-ish, 30s AD, but he may have never even heard of Jesus, but so much of his writing has Christian elements to it, to the point where people almost say like he was Christian himself, but he had really no connection whatsoever to the Christian movement, except that he was in this milieu going on of late Second Temple Judaism. Okay, so Philo shows that some of the the themes, concepts of Christianity were swirling around in Jewish thought in general before Christianity coalesced some of them. Is that right? Yeah, and especially some of these strains, the apocalyptic strain, that really didn't get picked up in rabbinical Judaism are the main themes of Christian religion and that version of Second Temple Judaism. And we'll touch upon some of those issues as we go along, because you can see where some of these ideas like the apocryphal books that get translated into the Septuagint don't make it into the Ur-Proto-Masoretic text. Those will become major issues down the line. So a couple of questions that I had going into this, and I think that they're really the guiding questions. Why translate Jewish scriptures into Greek? Where did that come from? Why did the Septuagint have such an impact on early Christianity? Why did the Septuagint translation become such a wedge issue between early Christians and the early rabbinical Jewish movement? And then why did the Septuagint fade out from Western Christian usage, at least in the top level, fairly early on? But why did the Septuagint hang on so long in Eastern Christian usage? I think that we'll be able to point you in some of the right directions or get you thinking out there about some of these questions and digging a little deeper. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, the Christian Bible is divided into two sections, the New Testament and the Old Testament. These are pretty different, aren't they? Yeah, the New Testament is a pretty tight and well-organized anthology. The New Testament's a group of documents written by a relatively small group of authors within a really specific time frame and geography. The authors are diverse in many ways, but not completely really out of left field from each other. It has the Gospels and the Book of Acts, which are really histories. Then it has the teaching and the pastoral letters. And for the most part, the New Testament was written entirely in the Hellenistic coin, is how some people say it. I think you might pronounce it Kine. Is it Koine? Koine. I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways. The New Testament Mm. is a tight document and a well-organized document, I would say. Yeah, it is a pretty compact little thing when you think about it. Compared to the Old Testament, 
It's delimited very sharply in time, maybe about 150 years in total from earliest book to latest book, maybe even a lot shorter. And it's very tightly organized thematically. The same sort of themes come through in almost every book. And they're all barely written by people within the same, most of the people may have even all known each other. They're probably a very similar education, similar background, where the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh, it's a very different story. It's many different genres, authors writing over hundreds of years in different geographies. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And in some cases, the related Semitic tongue of Aramaic and even some sections of it in Greek, not only in those languages, but also written in different historical phases of those languages, particularly Hebrew. And oh, yeah. Hebrew changed as a language, as all languages are wont to do. Parts of the Old Testament that are older are written in a different mm -hmm. form of Hebrew than parts written later. Think of Beowulf's English mm -hmm. versus Stephen King and everything in between, mm -hmm. where you have different writers or scribes writing in different styles. And I had never really thought about that much until the actual writing of the Old Testament. See, now you bring up those points. The New Testament is remarkably homogeneous compared to the Old Testament, isn't it? Yeah. If you take the tightest difference, Paul wrote, what, maybe 30s, 40s into the 50s AD? Yeah. And if you take the Gospel of John as the latest, at the latest, what do some scholars say, 180 AD, which I think is really pushing it. I think the tendency nowadays is to date John to about the same time as Matthew and Luke, round about a hundred-ish. I think that's the modern trend in scholarship. I used to think John was written way later, but my reading over the years seems to indicate that. And even Revelation is dated to about 100. And the latest books is uh, Second Peter, I think, which is about 150. Yeah, so like you said, it's a maybe a, a hundred year span and the core of the documents really within maybe 50 years. The source of all these texts, though, particularly with the Old Testament of what we're going to focus on is the Septuagint. But what was the Septuagint a translation of? And what should we be calling this fountainhead text? Was there an original fountainhead text or was there a textual tradition? There almost certainly wasn't one singular canonical text of what the Christians call the Old Testament. Scholars call the older pre-Septuagint text, the Hebrew text, the Ur text, the Hebrew textual tradition. What should we call it? The Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. All of these have issues that don't really fully explain what we're going for. So the Hebrew text, the Ur text, who knows? Keep all of these questions and concerns in the back of your mind because we'll really start to delve into each one of them. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, 
less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.